concert, and even the crazy ladies' luncheon group read and reread sections of the manuscript. Robbie Armour and Barbara Mahler read it line by line, and editor friends Jean Losey and Polly Galen pulled it together. But Laurie Burnham, editorial director of Shearwater Books, turned it into the book it is. She took a shy, matter-of-fact observer and made me set down my fears, dreams, and hopes. She let my mind sing of its love for Africa. To her I am forever indebted for my newfound voice. Most of all, I owe thanks to my husband, Dave. I feel honored to have been at his side, literally, during a massive forty-year undertaking to shed light on the world of unknown insects that live with certain ants and termites. I am thrilled by the five hundred new species and one hundred fifty new genera Dave and I turned up in the course of collecting two hundred fifty thousand myrmecophiles and termitophiles, and I'm awed by the depth of his insight into the evolution and adaptability of these animals. Professor Alfred Emerson, my husband's thesis advisor at the University of Chicago, was right in predicting that Dave would make a significant contribution to basic knowledge. He has also brought adventure and exhilaration to my life, and made it possible for me to see the world from the ground up. Thank you, Dave, for being you, and for letting me be me. First Word it was a different world between 1960 and 1973, the years of our five African expeditions. Sub-Saharan Africa was changing from a European-dominated continent to a self-governing African continent. When we first arrived, Europeans made the rules, enforced the laws, paid the bills, and ran the show. That's the way it was, and that's the way it had been for nearly a century or more. But by the time we completed our last research expedition to this vast and biologically rich land, Africa was breaking apart. Country after country was declaring independence from colonial powers and beginning a continuing struggle for stability with little support from the outside world. We, too, were different when we set out for Africa in 1960. Two naive biologists just out of graduate school, we were trying to make a scientific reputation trying to stretch a much-too-slim budget, and we were neither cosmopolitan nor political. We were scientists, intent on our research, happy to cast our eyes downward on the teeming jungle floor, and oblivious to most of the events unfolding around us. We spent most days on our hands and knees, collecting tiny beetles living amid legions of marching army ants, or from the cavernous depths of termite nests. While few would envy our choice of lifestyle, our efforts have produced valuable knowledge about beetle evolution and behavior, as well as a wealth of new species. To date, Dave has described 204 new species, many of them named after people and places encountered on our travels. The species name of one, Sympolamon uhurai, seen on the dedication page of this book, recalls the freedom shouts, Uhuru that once resonated throughout the Congo. When we first set foot in Africa, a mere 3,000 of these specialized beetles were known to the world. Five expeditions later, we had increased that number by 114,581. 
Had we not met with so much kindness during our travels, we would never have been so successful. As guests of the countries in which we found ourselves, the research stations, and the individuals we visited, we believed we had no right to inflict our attitudes on our hosts' lives. They had to live there. We could go home. We tried to be pleasant and courteous and to cause them as little extra work as possible. Without exception, people went out of their way to help us. We will be forever grateful for the opportunity to pursue our research in Africa and to experience Africa the way it was. I wrote it all down while we were there. Although the attitudes of our hosts varied, the innate goodness of most people shines through. Step back to a different time, a different place, and join me thirty-five years ago. First Expedition June to September 1960 Chapter 1 Ants Everywhere Belgian Congo They covered my arms and legs, crawled inside my shirt, up and down my neck. Heat and humidity almost knocked us flat as we wrestled our cameras and flight bags into the air terminal in Leopoldville, Belgian Congo. Long, snaking lines of somber Europeans, loaded down with carry-on luggage, waited to board the Belgium-bound plane, which would refuel and head back full of refugees. Small children hung on to fistfuls of their mother's skirts. Pandemonium reigned at the ticket counter. The plane, which had carried few passengers coming in, was overbooked going back. Six thousand Belgians from remote areas of the African bush were trying to get out of the Congo, and we were trying to get in. Independence Day, June 30, 1960, the day when European control would pass to the native Congolese, was less than three weeks away. Would the Congo have a peaceful transition, as had Ghana, nearly 1,700 miles away? Or did these people know something we didn't know? Would fighting and violence rule the day? All we knew was that by being in Africa we were fulfilling a dream. For biologists, there is no richer place on earth than the tropical rainforest, and no greater thrill than that of trying to unravel the mysteries of the living world. As a child, consumed with a love for biology, I read about intrepid explorers, fell out of tall trees, and rode impossible horses. My father, a physician, patched me up and shook his head. As I grew older, my mother longed for me to become a Chicago debutante. Instead, I have remained an avid adventurer, finding the world endlessly beckoning, a lively, bubbling cauldron of questions and intrigue. At the time of our first expedition to Africa, my husband, David H. Kistner, was just getting started, trying to make a name for himself in science. Three years before, during a dinner to celebrate our engagement, Dave's thesis advisor, Professor Alfred Emerson, had drawn me aside. Alzada, he had intoned earnestly, David is the most insightful student I have had in thirty-five years. I expect him to make major contributions to human knowledge. Please, let him think. Stunned and frightened by the possibility that the Dave I knew to be a self-driven, outrageously bright worker would become an icon in his field, I resolved to create a studious atmosphere at home, help in the field, 
help in the laboratory, and let him think. I dropped plans for my own Ph.D. degree in biology, a decision I have never regretted. Sixteen months after our wedding, our daughter Alzada was born. Watching her develop from a helpless infant into a walking, talking toddler was the most exciting experience of my life. Yet, when the opportunity to go to Africa arose, I couldn't say no. Not only did the prospect of exploring a foreign land thrill me, but also the leader of the expedition was madly in love with me. Still, there was the matter of baby Alzada. Leaving her behind was almost too much to ask. And yet, although Dave and I could take risks, we could not risk her life. Alzada would spend the next three months with her grandparents at my family's ranch in Montana. My parents begged me to stay home. I was torn to shreds, but in short, I had to go. So there we were on June 10th, touching down on a refugee-packed tarmac in the Belgian Congo, later to be Zaire, now the Democratic Republic of Congo. If our arrival on the cusp of independence strikes some as absurd, our reason for being there will seem even more so. We had come to collect beetles. Not just any sort, but specifically the kind that live among ants. Known as ant guests, or more technically, myrmecophiles, these specially adapted insects dwell within ant nests, house guests of the worst sort, if you will. Not only do they rely on the ants for food, housing, protection, and care of their young while doing no work themselves, but they also eat their hosts. Life is risky for these intruders. If discovered by their hosts, they are attacked, torn apart, and tossed lifeless onto the ants' refuse pile. Stress abounds, even in an ant nest.